I'm so excited for this episode and for you all to hear from Mark Spiewak. Mark is with Spiewak Training in St. Louis, and I think you're going to notice right away his great passion for running, his great passion for life. He brings a lot of energy to this podcast episode. I just love all the analogies he has for running and life and really just his story in general. He's going to share a little bit about a journey with um, depression and anxiety in himself and also the importance of speaking out on it because that's ultimately what really encouraged him to get help and, and some negative stigmas and some misbeliefs potentially around the whole subject. So I know this is common in the running world. So excited that he was willing to share on this today. And also he's going to share his journey uh, to his first marathon that he ran. It's very interesting and, and kind of, it's a fun, it's a fun story. Um, Basically you're going to get to hear how he uh, trained for his first marathon, qualified for Boston, but didn't get to run Boston Um, You're just going to have to listen to find out why. Um, It's kind of funny. Something I would do, I think. Um, Also going to get, so Mark is also a coach himself. So we dig into what his coaching looks like, his coaching philosophy. For any of you coaches out there listening to this, this is going to be really helpful. Mark has his own uh, coaching business and that's all he does, which I mean, for me has been very, was very um, inspiring to listen to because that's you know mainly what I'm doing and and just cool to connect on the fact that you can do something that you're passionate about and it can be different than the norm um, and and really just to expound upon that I mean this is my own belief but that we should all be chasing after I know not all of us do it but it, it can be possible to go after your dreams and do something you're passionate about but well let's dive into this episode I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Mark. And as always, if you could subscribe to this podcast, it really helps me out. If you could share this out on social media, just share it out with your friends. And lastly, if you would be willing to rate and even more so leave a review for me on this podcast, it helps to get it out to other people and I would greatly appreciate it. Till then, let's dig into this episode. So one day I decided to ask myself, could I break five minutes in the mile? At age 30, could I return to the sport of track and go after my unmet goal of breaking five minutes? Was my body capable of this? Was my mind capable of this? And most importantly, was my spirit capable of pushing through the ups and downs to find the answer? You are listening to Breaking Five, a running podcast, where we search for this answer as well as yours for achieving your breaking five moment, whatever that may be for you. We will gain inspiration and knowledge from others who have achieved their breaking five moment, those working towards theirs, as well as those who have helped the athletes along the way. I'm your host, Kristen Schultz, physical therapist, runner, and running coach. Let's run full force towards our wildest dreams and take a listen to today's episode. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Mark Spiewak. Um, He is the owner of Spiewak Training in St. Louis, and he also is a youth cross-country and track coach. Um, And super excited to have him here because he has a very inspiring story to share, um, as well as some to share about his, his coaching life. So Mark, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to, to dive in. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited to get to know, because I really don't know, honestly, much about Mark. So this is going to be an awesome interview because I'm, I'm going to get to learn the whole time and um, it's going to be awesome. So, so Mark, I really want to start with, if you don't mind, um, if you could tell me a little bit about how you got into running, when did your running journey start and just start us off there? Yeah, no, no, thanks for asking. You know, I think 
everybody has a kind of a unique, you know, way that they got into the sport. And, you know, mine comes back to just being a kid that played every sport possible except for fly fishing and NASCAR. So I did, you know, I did pretty much everything. And my oldest brother was a cross-country track runner um, in high school, and he's about five years older than me. So uh, when I was in that elementary school, kind of middle school phase, he was having his running success. And then he ended up going and running in college. And for me, like, you know, I don't know if you have siblings or not, but I think people who are listening, yep. you know, your oldest sibling is like your hero. And so I was probably the only middle school boy who thought short shorts were cool uh, because my oldest brother wore them, you know, and he, and he was a fast runner. He was a great 800 runner and I wanted to be like him. So uh, after I kind of stopped, I guess I was, I was playing football and some other sports and I realized, Hey, I kind of want to do what Mike's doing. Um, dedicated myself probably in seventh grade and eighth grade to actually like transitioning to becoming a runner um, and ended up running uh, like just kind of your traditional eighth grade cross country track teams, you know, nothing, super serious and uh, kind of went from there. So really my influence was my brother. And what was really cool was I had a few friends that ran with me and their brothers were teammates of my brother. So we were kind of like that second generation of runners coming yep. up on that hype between it. That's awesome. They probably had a lot of expectations then. They're like, are you going to be like your brother? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was. There was actually an article in, uh, in our, like kind of, not our St. Louis big, so it wasn't like in the big newspaper, but they have like kind of a smaller, they call it the suburban journals, and it's a smaller newspaper for just different parts of the area. And me and my friends in eighth grade ran pretty well. And our team, the high school team, were losing a lot of seniors. Uh, but we had been a successful team for many years, uh, especially my brother and, you know, my brothers uh, or my friend's brothers were on the team. And so they wrote an article about me and my two teammates who had brothers and how it's a family affair and that we're going to, you know, you know, hopefully kind of keep the thing going. And there was definitely a little pressure there. And I uh, yeah. got in my head a little bit for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like it would. It'd be like, oh, you like you kind of have that pressure. Like, or if like, you have parents that are good at sports, like, oh, you're expected to be good at it. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So you ran in, ran in high school, um, got into it really not through, um, you know, you were playing other sports and kind of found the love for running then. And then you went on to run in college as well. Yes, I did. Yeah. So I ran at a small division one school named Ryder University uh, about, uh, we always just tell people it's about five miles away from Princeton. So uh, it's a, it's a smaller school in the uh, MAC conference and uh, great, had a great experience, uh, you know, running there. I actually only ran there for a year. Um, okay. I was redshirted and, you know, I just kind of made some mistakes in terms of just like my personal life in terms of uh, just, uh, you know, partying too much and not taking my grades serious. And, ended up actually failing out and uh, losing the opportunity to run, you know, my total dream as a kid and as a high schooler was to run division one. And then to have that kind of take away from me or not really take away from me, I had my, you know, kind of pulled myself out of it from what I did. And so um, that was kind of the, the first, I would say, fumble of my running career that uh, kind of, you know, put me in a position where it was, I don't know if I'm going to keep going with this or not. And it yeah. really kept me kind of at a crossroads. Uh, but I was, forever grateful to, to go run there. And I love the school. My coach, uh, Bob Hamer, an amazing guy. He, uh, he was a phenomenal runner himself for Penn State. And he brought in a lot of great kids and still good friends with a lot of those guys. So very grateful for just the experience to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you still had a good experience, I get, you know, with just the one year, even of running. Um, outside of your own story, and we'll get in that in a second, is, you know, for college running, do you feel like it's for everyone? Who is it for? Um, you know, I, I have a lot of people I'll talk to that are just kind of 
I don't know. They have, uh, they're fearful of, I guess, running in college and any advice you have there. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, college running is, it can be intimidating because, you know, it's, there's more of a demand to it, you know, just in terms of, you know, if you're in high school, you're only going to probably go to practice for two hours a day, maybe um, in college, the, the commitment could be, you know, two, two hour practices per day, um, as well as your training throughout the whole year. So if you are from a Midwest state and you don't have indoor track like Missouri, now you're going to be training all throughout the winter, you know, with a practice yeah. schedule uh, and things like that. So I think that's, <laughs> the biggest adjustment for a lot of people, but also when you're in high school, you kind of know your schedule, you have your parents at home or you have other things that are, you know, kind of your familiarity. When you go off to school, you're managing, you know, running and practice on top of your grades and not having, you know, that person over your head saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. So my advice, especially as I coach a lot of high schoolers now, um, is really just make sure that you're going to a school that really fits you um, if you weren't running there. So if you, you know, if cross country track got taken away from you would you enjoy the social aspect of it would you enjoy um the campus would you enjoy the facilities all those different things that make a big difference because ultimately at the end of the day you want to be happy at the school you're at and you know for a lot of athletes you know i probably actually would have benefited from going to a division three school um i kind of had my my head wrapped around i wanted to go to the best level but in reality of it is actually uh, for how my style was, I might have actually adapted well to a Division three school, maybe with a little bit different academics, um, you know, and competition might have been differently and could have actually been even more successful on the running side. So I think the thing for, especially for running, is don't limit yourself to just a specific division. Kind of look through all, because cross-country and track is a unique sport in the sense that uh, there's really good runners, actually Olympians, that come out of D3, um, and D2 and it's not like you got to go D1 to be you know super successful so there's yep. a lot of different paths so I really kind of a long you know winded answer to to your question is really anybody that's out there kind of looking to go to college just make sure that you uh, you really do your due diligence and the last is 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 meet the coach and talk to the coach and not just the lip service that you're getting from the coach over the phone but you know see how the coach interacts with the team so I encourage anybody to take a visit if you can't take a visit or they're not offering you know an overnight um, you know see if you can come down for a day um, with your family just to kind of and typically they'll let you kind of go to practice as well um, just really get a feel for it because you don't want to show up to the first day of practice and be like wow I didn't know what to expect <laughs> yep. especially yep. when you're making that big of a decision going to college yep no I love that that's good so like make sure to meet the coach you know if you can or at least get some sort of interaction, make sure you're going to get along with the coach, um, pick a school based off other things as well, outside of running, you know, don't make it just all about the running. And like he said, knowing that it, you don't have to go D1 to be successful. Like, he, like you were saying, like successful runners come out of D3, D2, D1, all of them really. I like it. That's good. Good advice. So, so back to your story. So you said in college, you know, you ran the one year kind of weren't fully maybe focused on what you wanted for running. So after this time you dropped out, had this experience, did you keep running or what happened then going forward? Yeah. So I was really kind of at a crossroads with my, my running career and honestly a crossroads of my life because, you know, I, I had to make the decision to go home to St. Louis and, you know, really figure out what I wanted to do. And I didn't really want to just be that, you know, entitled rich kid that, you know, came back to St. Louis and, you know, just, you know, slept on the couch and, you know, made a bum out of myself. And I was extremely passionate about running. I mean, I think if you talk to any of the guys that I ran with freshman year, even though I wasn't uh, successful in the classroom or successful on the running side because I was redshirted and really didn't compete, I think every one of them would have known that I probably loved running 
you know, if not the same or more than, you know, some of those guys that were out there. And so I think the passion was always there. It just, I, I didn't know how to, uh, you know, handle, you know, a workload. And honestly, I just wasn't mature enough at that time in, you know, my life to be able to, to really be able to put it all together. And so when I came back, I was fortunate enough that I had connections in the St. Louis running community. Um, in high school, I worked uh, with a company called Big River Running Company, and uh, they uh, are running store here in St. Louis. Um, their owner, Matt Helbig, is a, is a great guy. He's always been a supporter of mine, and he called me immediately uh, after finding out my story and, you know, just kind of uh, said to me, like, hey, you know, we'd love to help have you come kind of help out, you know, at our shop uh, and do some stuff with the, with the race timing business that they had. And so from there, I just kind of looked at it as, like, this is my opportunity to to continue to pursue running, but also it's my opportunity to, to do it professionally, you know, and not professionally in the sense that I'm running for money, more like, hey, I get to take a sport that I love and turn that into a job. And so that's yeah. kind of how things transition for me. And when you work at a running store, there's lots of runners, you know, there's lots of yep. <laughs> competitive runners too, who are, um, you know, some of them actually are more competitive than they were in college because they kind of found it. And so I started training with uh, a few guys here in St. Louis, one, uh, one guy named Danny Stoltz, who I coached for Oklahoma State, uh, which they had won a national championship a couple years before. So I was like totally <laughs> fanboying when I had first so met him. In the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he ended up being my neighbor. And then, uh, you know, some other guys, uh, now Danny's over at uh, Bradley in Peoria, Illinois. But he um, he really just kind of took me under his wing. At the time, I was probably like 19 or 20 years old, and he was about 28 or 29. And he took a lot of interest in me. And started coaching me and helping me and then introduced me to a lot of people who were competitive runners in St. Louis and from there I just got into just just competing still and so I still kind of had the it wasn't the same as being on a college team obviously yeah. but still had the the fix of being able to compete do local races um, and train at a high level with really really good athletes. That's awesome so you still were able so you still had like a competitive career then even though you weren't in college and you're surrounded by a bunch of yeah yeah runners. And it's, it's funny because, I mean, as you know, like high school or college, like you have your seasons. So you have fall cross country and then you have indoor track and then in the springtime you have outdoor track. And so when you're running on the roads, you don't really have those same traditional seasons. Yeah. You could go run track in the spring if you wanted to. And the guy that Danny and the guys that are training were, they did track, but uh, about a year in, in 2013, where the Boston bombings. And I had no interest in being a marathoner. I was like, there's no way I'm going to run a marathon. I just... I don't care about running that far. Uh, you know, I like the I like the shorter stuff. And Danny was a very successful Division One, uh, 1500 meter runner, 800 meter runner. So he had no interest in being a marathoner either. So that's what we kind of bonded because we could just run shorter stuff. But you know, with the bombings happening, uh, you know, being in the Midwest, it was it was different because you know you definitely have American you know pride, but you don't really understand. Um, especially when, you know, I think a lot of high school runners don't even understand what the Boston Marathon means. It's Boston to, uh, to runners in, in their local communities is a much bigger deal to, than as a high school kid who runs cross-country and track. To yeah. a high school kid yeah. cross-country and track, the big deal to us is running at nationals or running yeah. at the Olympic yeah. trials. But Boston Marathon, you know what it is, and maybe you had a parent or you have a friend that does it, but it's, not, it's, not, it's just not the same. And so I was, you know, I was young and I didn't, you know, I didn't know much about it when it happened. I was definitely devastated and upset about it, but Danny was outraged and just so mad, um, you know, and I just remember him saying to me, you know, he, he I, I feel like that first day it was almost, it was hard for me to even have the conversation with him because I was just so 
out of touch with what was going on. You know, it's yeah. being in St. Louis, you know, working at a shop and all of a sudden, you know, here's, here's what happens. And it was, uh, I, I can remember this day, you know, to, to it. And it was almost like a movie scene where Danny just says to me, I'm not going to let anybody take away running from me and they will not take it away from us. And he was so fired up. And I almost felt like, man, if I don't step up and say, yeah, you know, heck yeah, I'm going to be left out. And so I, he's like, I'm going to train and I'm going to run a marathon, which I didn't plan on ever doing. And I'm going to run Boston next year. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I signed up for the grandma's marathon, which was like eight weeks away or nine weeks away and had uh, become a marathoner at the age of 20. So that's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I feel like, so first off, I just had to say there's a couple, well, we'll, we'll have to ask about your marathon experience, but I have to say I am on the same page as far as, so I don't, I did one marathon and might be similar to your experience. I didn't really train for it. Um, but also like, I just really like, track races and shorter races like that's kind of in my like I never I haven't yet really gone to the marathon training and maybe I will eventually I always say but it's not as big of a deal and even even the mentality of like you're talking about the high schoolers like you know about the Boston Marathon but you don't really know I mean I definitely do obviously being in the running community but it's like it's not like I'm I feel like an atypical runner because it's not the end all be all for me Mm -hmm. um but it just kind of I don't know. It's funny because I was, when we had Adam on the podcast too, same thing. He's training, doing track training. I'm like, oh, there's other people out there that aren't just all about the marathon training, which is really cool to see. I feel like you don't, you don't hear about it that often. So. Absolutely. But maybe you're going to tell me next that you are a big marathon runner because then you went on and so you ran grandma's, what is this like 2013, 14? Yeah, I think this is 2013 uh, okay. because it would have been the summer after the bombing. So, okay. um, you know, what I ended up doing was, uh, was kind of putting together like, I think like an eight week training plan with, with Danny and, you know, we run base miles all year and I, uh, I just, I, I was, I was in shape, I would say, but I wasn't like, you know, in tip top shape, but then ended up putting in some good training and. Uh, you know, what you needed is, uh, as a male at that time, you needed from 18 to 35, I think you needed a 305 marathon. That was, was now it's like, I think it's three hours. And yeah. so, uh, I just kind of trained at pace for what that was. So the training, like I was like, probably one of the people who was like, oh, marathon training is not so hard because I really wasn't pushing myself as hard as I probably could have been. But I also didn't know what it was like. And I was scared of just jumping up to the distance. I remember right. a lot of experienced marathoners is a, woman I work with, who was a 245 marathoner. And she kind of said to me, uh, she said, respect the distance right before I went out and ran it. Yeah. And uh, but grandma's was an amazing experience. I actually, uh, the only reason why I'm there is, is to run Boston. And it, <laughs> what ended up happening was I, and this is a, this is a note for anybody at home. It's uh it's an embarrassing story, but it's a, it's a reminder for everybody to, to always follow the instructions. And I've always kind of been one of those people that just is, you know, just can be kind of ignorant in the sense that I might not always read through the instructions. I might just, you know, say, okay, I have a bib. I'm ready to go to the starting line. And I had actually had the bib mailed to me. So I didn't go to the packet pickup and at packet pickup. That's where a lot of times they explain to you maybe something unique about their race that you might need, or, you know, just different stuff in terms of logistics, whatever that is. And at at this time, you know, in high school, you know, Big River timed a lot of our events and they were, they were really tech savvy at that point. So at that, I don't know when you were running in high school and track, but I'm sure we were the same years or at least the same era. You know, if you were like most of our events that were timed uh, were at that point, were actually switched over to chip timing. And if they were chip timing, you know, either it was like this, this, you know, almost like this 
I don't even know, like a foot bracelet that you would wear um, at some events, or you'd have a tag maybe on your shoes. Well, (laughs) Big River was kind of ahead of the game, and they had actually started doing those B pull tags where at the back of your bib, it was just a strip. And so you didn't have to wear anything else in that time to you. So I'm thinking 2013, everybody's adapted to this new way of timing. You know, I've worn a foot timer, you know, foot pad since, since high I, school. Yeah, high school yeah. or cross country track meet in freshman year college. And so <laughs> I didn't even look and I get on the, the bus and there's a buddy of mine who, who ran it with me that year. And he looks at me and he's like, where's your chip? And I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, what are you talking about? He says, and he points down at his shoe. And I just had this like, total freak out moment. I was so anxious. And I, you know, it was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, what's going on? You know, I didn't, I didn't read it. And what happens at grandma's is that it's a point to point race. If you guys have never done grandma's go out there, it's in Duluth, Minnesota, and it's an incredible event. It's in, uh, you know, it's in June. So it's actually pretty cool at that point in time in Minnesota. And I, I, but what happens is because you go out 26 miles, you can't really just turn around the bus and get your tag. So I got there, I tried to calm myself down and say, well, at the starting line, there'll probably be somebody there, you know, at a table. I'm sure I'm not the only person that's had this issue. And I get there and there's a table that says FAQ questions and there's nobody manning it. And on the piece of paper, it says, what if I, you know, forgot my chip and says, you could still run the race, but you won't be timed. And I'm thinking in my head, so I just trained to do this, but, you know, for the Boston Marathon and I forgot my chip. Wow, like I am the biggest dummy out there. But I kind of said to myself, I have a Garmin, you know, and so I can run this race and I'll plead for my, you know, plead my case, you know, when I cross that finish line. Yeah. And there'll be race photos of me. I'll have my bib on and everything. So hopefully I can kind of, you know, work my, you know, work my magic. And so I put myself in a really good position mentally just to start that race. And I ended up just getting out like easy and trying to negative split it. And I ended up running, I think it was a 253 was my first was my first marathon debut and I was really excited about it. I had, you know, qualified by over 10 minutes and was really hyped up and I had the, you know, the Garmin to prove it and all that different stuff. And afterwards they kind of told me, I'd emailed them and they're like, yeah, you're, that's just not, still not going to be able to accept it. Now I think now they probably would have with Strava and everything that's out there. Okay. Strava I think was yeah. around, but nobody was really using it the same way they were now. So yeah, you know, it's, that was kind of the beginning of my marathon running career. And so <laughs> Of course, after that, you have to do it again because I still yeah. qualify. So that's how I uh, became a marathoner at the age, I guess it was the age of 21 when I really didn't want to. It was only just to do it once. So and needless to say, I was not at the Boston Marathon the year after. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so like, you only do it for that reason, but did it get you into the marathon? Did you start marathon training then afterwards or not? Yeah. Quite? Yeah. I'll be honest. Like I ran marathon training because I was I was kind of scarred from high school and, and freshman year of college from the hard speed work and the race nerves and everything. And I found yeah. a lot of joy in being able to run slow and long, you know, and not that it's, you know, a pace that's easy, but I just, I found a lot of happiness and success there. And to be honest, I just was, I was just scared uh, to kind of, you know, do some things that were hard for me. And I think at that time, point in time, I needed to do that. So for about two years, I just kind of, I just ran base miles. And I would train for these marathons and, you know, 10 weeks out, I'd start doing speed work, but my speed work would never be anything, you know, faster than, you know, than maybe half marathon pace, you know, really, I just did a lot of marathon tempos and things like that. And so I kind of stalled in terms of my fitness, but my marathon times got a little bit better. It it was nowhere near my fitness where it is now, but um, I ended up running that falling spring uh, two marathons because I had originally signed up to do 
to do a marathon in the spring and I ended up having to get my wisdom teeth out as an emergency. So I signed up for a marathon like five weeks before that marathon. Uh, and uh, so I ended up doing that one. And then about a few weeks later, still did the other one. So I qualified that next year for the year after. And so then I went and ran the Boston Marathon. And for the first time in 2015, okay. and still was kind of stuck marathoning because I'm like, this is what I do. This is what I like to do. I, you know, was stubborn and then ended up doing, uh, I guess, Twin Cities, uh, what are they? Yeah, Twin Cities the fall after that first Boston Marathon. And then that next spring, uh, ran Boston one more time because I, I really honestly thought I was going to be that person who was 80 years old and ran the Boston Marathon every year. That was like my plan. <laughs> and it was such a terrible experience in 2016 because it was hot. It was really, really hot. Yeah. And I'd gone out, uh, I'd gone out pretty hard for those first 18 miles and I ended up having a heat stroke and passing oh, out at eight, at the 30K mark. And I don't know if I technically cheated in this race because they put me on a, uh, they put me on a, like a stretcher and then into a car uh, or like not a car, but like a gator because they had to get me to the med tent. So I think I passed out at like 17.5, but they took me to 30 K, which is like 18.6 or something. And so there's about like a half mile probably that I didn't run to the Boston marathon that year. So I apologize to anybody, you know, at home that's, you know, that thinks I, you know, run it twice. I've really run it, you know, one time and, you know, 75%, but <laughs> we ended up going to the med tent. It was in there for, about 30 minutes and then uh, I just kind of begged them I said I, I want to finish this race I was running uh, there's a there was a guy in St. Louis a local guy who was about my age he, he had had cancer um, he had had cancer in his childhood I think like four or five times and had come back in his adulthood and I was running for Joey I really it was really important to me that I got to that finish line and got that medal and I was just like listen guys I know you know you probably want to take me to the hospital at this point but I really just want to walk you know, walk around to that finish line. Like, it's so important to me that I get there. So give me the fluids that I need, you know, all the hot soup and all that stuff, but whatever. So I just walked right out of that tent, started walking up the road and I was thinking in my head, wow, I'm going to walk, you know, the rest of these miles. It's going to probably take several hours, but I'm going to get there and ended up having a client of mine ran right behind me and, and popped up out of nowhere. And she was having a tough day. She had started in my same corral. So, but she was having a, or say not same corral, but same wave. And she had, was having a really, really rough outing because I think it was really, really hot for her too. Um, and she was such a trooper and she ended up, uh, she ended up running right next to me. Um, and we just ran, walked together to that finish line. It was really cool because, you know, both of us, you know, were disappointed in, you know, our times, but we both finished it together. And that was for me, I walked away from that. I was just so proud of the fact that, you know, I didn't quit and that we got to do this together. And then also that I had that medal for Joey and um, was to be able, able to do something that was bigger than myself. But after that, I just kind of said, okay, I'm done with the marathon. Now I want to go do all the stuff that, you know, I've been avoiding for the last three or four years. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Like what, the, like you, <laughs> heat stroke, <laughs> like finish the race, you get to see your client who's also struggling. Like, it's like, this, yeah, like the silver lining. I don't know, like finding the best out of like maybe what could have not been a great situation. Absolutely. Gotta be, you gotta be positive about it. Cause there's a, there's, an experience at all. It's not like we're winning the race. So, you know, and we're not getting paid to do it. So you got to find, you know, a way to view all these events, regardless of your time in a positive manner. Cause we're lucky to be able to do that. Not everybody can say they can run a marathon regardless how right. fast they run it. Right. It's good to step back and think that sometimes, cause sometimes I think, especially if we're just within our running world, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like yeah, anyone can do that. No, not anyone really even yeah. can do that. So. <laughs> absolutely. But no, that's awesome. So you've run Boston twice then now. Yep. Absolutely. And then you got into the marathon training and then you said you 
wanted to go after some other goals afterwards. So what are those other goals that you started to go after then? Yeah. So really for me, I just wanted to, to tackle like what I was afraid of, you know, and I really wanted to train. There was a group in St. Louis of competitive runners um, who I, you know, if I jumped into a 5k, I could keep up with that, you know, with the group. But I also knew that um, they were doing training year round. They were doing kind of the traditional training that you need to do to take that next step and kind of reach your fullest potential. And um, I just was always kind of a little bit hesitant to do it for lifestyle purposes. I was a little afraid to get up every day at 5:30 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I kind of told myself, "Oh, there's never, you know, I can't wake up at 5:30." <laughs> or you know, you just kind of, you know, you have a million excuses for why you're not going to do something. And I said, my next challenge is that I'm just going to train with this group, and I'm not going to have goals in terms of times. I'm just have the goal of getting better and doing what they're doing um, and try to improve from there. So Jason Holroyd uh, is my coach here in St. Louis, and he. Um, had started kind of training a few people. Uh, we worked together at the shop and he trained some people through the shop. And then all of a sudden we're training a few more people locally. Um, and all the way up to this point, now the team has like, I think it has like 35 or 40 people on that team that train. And so it's just kind of your traditional, uh, you know, uh, we kind of, we, we transition from different cycles throughout the year, but we do have, uh, we do have a, traditionally we'll train for either a fall half or, um, or like kind of shorter races, 5k, 10k. So there's guys in the group that do the marathon. Um, and then we transition over in the spring to either doing, you know, another half or 5k, 10k's on the track and things like that. So that's kind of what I've, what I've, what I've done. And, um, that's what I've been doing, focusing on at least these last, I'd say it's the last four years. Okay. Okay. So like road racing mainly 5k. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So focusing on the shorter stuff. And, um, right, right now my goal is to break 70 in the half. Um, I ran 72 a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, I want to, want to run that and run under, um, want to run about 31 minutes in the 10k or so. So those are kind of the lofty goals that I have for myself. It kind of keeps you out, but really yeah. I just want to see, you know, just continue to be in the mix and keep doing this because it's really fun. Yeah, no, I love it. And yeah, um, those are, I was going to ask you next what your goals are, but you told me them. So I, I got <laughs> it, but do you, okay. So I'll ask you this question just because this is what I'm doing right now. So I just recently went and did a track season this past Okay, cool. Um, for the first time since college, like have not, I just had to, like, I've had a spiral of injuries and just probably mindset, like what you were even saying, like, oh, I gotta get up at 530. Just like, oh, I'm in PT school. Oh, I have this going on in my life, blah, blah, blah. And then I was injured a lot. Anyway, so I'm like, so I'm 30 now and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and run a track season and I'm going to try to get faster than I was in college, which is kind of crazy. Um, but do you, do you ever see anyone that, you know, tries to run a track season that later in life, you know, going like running miles and stuff like that, since you're connected to the community. Do you see that often? I know it's not that common, but I figured I'd ask. No, I love that. Actually, so I see it nationally because I follow different businesses that are similar to mine. And in other cities, they have, uh, they have like different track meets and things that are going on. And I do see people chasing their dreams, you know, later. And even some people in our group uh, will jump in and do track. The only issue in St. Louis is that we don't have indoor track meets. And then on the track side, there's only a select few track events that we have. So it's not that it's not that there's not the, the difference is that we'll, I'll see some people train for a mile or stuff for the roads, uh, but not traditionally the track season itself. But I I love that. I think it's really cool. And I think what you're showing to yourself is that, you know, that uh, you, you don't have to show up for a specific time or it doesn't have to be the same you know, same reasons for why you did it, you know, uh, you know, as a high school kid, you're simply participating in the sport. And I think that's what's amazing. And I think sometimes as as runners, we forget that we're participating in a sport. At least that's my experience, especially when you put so much pressure on yourself. You know, if we were playing basketball, I love basketball. And all I could think about when I was playing in a game, I'm in a game. And for whatever reason, 
when I was racing, sometimes I put so much pressure on myself that I forgot that I was participating in a sport. Yeah. And so you don't, I'm not always going to win that basketball game. You're not always going to PR in the mile, but there's some fulfillment of participating in it. And right. you know how it is on a track, you know, on a mile, you're dry heaving and you feel like crap at the end and all this <laughs> different stuff. But there's yeah. that simple accomplishment when you walk off and say, wow, I really, you know, I get to wear spikes today, you know, I yeah. get to do all these different yeah. things. So. Yeah, I think it's yeah so important to remember, yeah, like the little things like that. And definitely something I didn't do well, I feel like, in college, but I have done well since. I've done some road races and stuff. But getting back into the track season this past winter almost brought back my same mentality as when I was, like, in college and high school a little bit, which was a little just kind of weird to go back to, like, just, like, the nerves and stuff like that. It's just way different. Um, but, yeah. But it was fun to get just, like, yeah, get on the track again just because I enjoy it and I want to – like, yes, there were unmet goals. Like maybe, maybe like I can't get faster than high school. I don't know, like, or in college, cause it might be hard, but it's like about just like going after your goals anyways. And see, just seeing and, and enjoying the sport, like you were saying, I think so. But, but yeah, anyway, so I figured I'd ask that question. I'm like, if you knew anyone, but that would be a different situation where you guys don't have, um, you don't have access to the indoor meets and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just a little bit different, unfortunately here in St. Louis. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, what was I going to say next? Oh, on your, um, so you're, so now you're road racing, you did a little bit of, of marathon training. Um, and now are you like at your, like right now, would you say you're at your peak? Like you're as far as fitness wise, like you're just still getting faster and faster still. Yeah, I would say, uh, unfortunately in the last two years I've, I've dealt with some injuries and it's, you know, as a PT yourself, you'll understand this. Like I I'm having to now address a lot of things that I didn't take care of for many years, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and now I understand why, you know, your coaches were telling you to do specific things and you can get away with it when you're obviously in your early twenties or when you're in high school. Uh, but like leading up to that fall where I ran 72 minutes and a half, um, I had actually had four months off pre- prior to that training cycle, uh, with an Achilles tear. And so partial tear, so it wasn't, you know, full-blown tear, but ended up having, you know, I was in the pool every single day, cross-training like an animal, you know, and it was like, and came out of it, honestly, not expecting anything and put together about a three-month cycle and ended up running lifetime PRs and everything. But a lot of it was because I, before I got injured, I was in really good shape. And then after that, this last year after that, coming back from that injury, um, I about for about, I'd say it was from, because that was, that was fall of 2018. From the fall of 2018 till um, this past fall of, I guess it was 19, um, I just, for whatever reason, just had some emotional stress going on. And, you know, even though I wasn't injured, just had, I was training, but just like couldn't put it together on the racing side, didn't have injuries, but just had a lot of fatigue, a lot of, you know, a lot of soreness, just weird, weird things that were happening. Um, and then ended up this last fall getting in really good shape. I think I really felt better shape than I was the fall before. and just a freak accident. I was out running uh, and I've been doing a lot of my mobility work and all this different stuff that I've been trying to improve on. And I was on a, we were just doing K, I think it was like K repeats. And, you know, I got into the workout and within the first repeat, I had tweaked my hamstring oh, no. and by the third, third or fourth, because I'm, you know, I'm like most runners, I'm not going to leave a workout if I'm, yeah. you know, if I have a tweak, because sometimes you work it out, you know, and sometimes it, it's something that hurts a little bit and then you don't feel it, you know, a few repeats later. Yep. And uh, by the fourth one, I'm on the ground, you know, probably looked really dramatic, but I'm just like screaming because I, I felt it blow out. And I was oh. like, this is, this just, it was just horrible. It was this horrible feeling. Couldn't even really walk back to my car. Um, it was embarrassing because I was out there with the guys that I was training with and gals and, you know, they have to see this. And 
So ended up jumping on the bike and getting really fit, you know, in terms of cross training for about six weeks. And uh, this past fall, I, we took a lot of my clients to Philadelphia for a marathon. And uh, my coach Jason was up there as well for it. And there's a AK the day before the marathon, which is a really cool. I think it's called the Rothman AK. It's in Philadelphia. It's a super fast course, really competitive event. And I was thinking, you know, it's still be able to fund to participate in it. So I had about six weeks off and I had about probably about four to six weeks of actually being able to get myself back into shape and start doing some speed work, you know, not anything intense, but I realized, Hey, I could go out there and run a, you know, run an AK, you know, and be able to do this. And it'd just be fun to participate. And it doesn't matter how fast I run it. I just want to be a part of a cool event. And the joke yeah. was in college was that I was allergic to the East coast because uh, I had had such a bad freshman year that my teammates laugh at me. They're like, you know, you, you, you could not race well on our soil, but the second you get back in the Midwest, you're doing just fine. <laughs> and so, so of course I'm like, I'm going to prove to everybody that I can have a, you know, a decent, I can at least complete a race out here in the East yeah, Coast. And, yeah. and I do this, uh, this AK and, uh, you know, I had not felt my hamstring at all leading up to this, but it just, it wasn't enough time. And so even though I'd done the speed work and speed work that I felt like challenged the leg, um, I had not had any continuous efforts of, you know, five miles of, you know, a very hard effort. And I got out there and I felt it, you know, I felt the hamstring, you know, two miles in and by four miles, I couldn't even run on it. And it was, it was, it was pretty defeating to get back out there and have that injury again. Yeah. And so I walked away from that, you know, and of course I was at, uh, coincidentally, I had a wedding that night in Philadelphia as well as this event. So, because uh, I have these friends that are still out there and, um, you know, I was like, well, as long as I can dance, you know, and I'll be, I'll be on the DL now from running. So as long as I can dance tonight, I'll be okay. And ended up taking, I think after that, about a month now, a month back down of, you know, just cross training, not running and uh, just kind of made the, the, the dedication to myself. I was like, can we come back? And then ended up having, you know, some, some personal life issues that had happened and had gone through a really, really tough patch in my, uh, in my winter kind of uh, early spring. And so here I am ready to come back from injury and I'm like super pumped to get back into running. And then here's this event that happens and, um, you know, just had to deal with it. And running was one of those things that, you know, for a lot of us, I think it's our escape, but I've always kind of told people this, that we know running so well that sometimes in our most stressful moments, it's not our best outlet because we, we, we don't use it the same way that somebody might like for us, like me actually doing a strength training workout, I have a different emotional connection to that workout because I'm not super familiar with it. So yeah. it wasn't that running, running totally saved me, but it's almost like the analogy of coffee. You know, if you don't, if you don't have your coffee and you drink it every single day, you're gonna have terrible headaches and you're not going to feel as good. Yeah. But if you never drink coffee and you drink it once, there's this like huge power effect. Like yeah. I feel great. I'm going to jump up and down, you know, all this different stuff. And so running is what kept me on track, but I had to, I could not find my way mentally to be able to do workouts and races and like just full disclosure, I was having panic attacks when I was training. Um, and it, I just could not, it had nothing to be, nothing to do at this point about being scared to do speed work or anything else. I was just emotionally yeah. in such a tough spot. And so running's what kept me going. And I'm so grateful. My training partner, Molly Culver, who is a, uh, who'd run Olympic trials. Um, she, you know, my, my goal was just run with her every day, get her ready for the trials, you know, and then, you know, just, you know, have that friendship there. We're going to get through it. And, you know, as I, as I got through what I was going through, I ended up uh, finding myself, you know, pretty fit just on base miles. And so now I've kind of transitioned and now I'm 
in the same shape that I was last fall and there's no races to be told, but I'm in a good mental spot. That's kind of where I'm at. So I would say that I would say that I, I really do believe I have that next step to take in, in the sport just because I haven't had um, like because my PRs have come after years of my least amount of miles because of injury. So I yeah. really feel like there's a breakthrough, but it will just kind of have to be, you know, the right timing and everything like that. So really, I don't yeah. have specific goals. I just want to show up and give my best effort and know that I, you know, took one more crack at it. Yeah. No, I like that. There's a lot of good stuff you said there. Like, I mean, going back as far as when you, I mean, this is a ways back, but you were talking about, and you know, I think it was part of your journey where you weren't performing as well. And you just had like a lot of emotional stress going on. And I, I, I just wanted to know that because I feel like that's such a big part of our training and a lot of, you know, our athletes, I'm sure you see it, don't want to admit it or don't think it really does relate to training sometimes. And it's just one of those things that we have to remind them that if a lot's going on in life, like we need to consider that for your training, <laughs> like that definitely can affect it. Um, but then going into, you know, current, like you had these injuries, then you're having these panic attacks that were, and how great that you had running that could kind of be there. It sounded like, right. As a different mode than it used to be during that time. Um, and now, now, now we have no races, but you're, you're back on track and training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, no, but, I, but I like it. Um, I appreciate it. I really like the coffee analogy. I wrote that down. I was like, Oh, I really like that. Like I've never thought of it because it's totally like that. Cause well, I can't have coffee like uh, every day. Cause it just like affects me too much, <laughs> but it is that feeling of like, you just have one cup, like if you go for a run it's like, Oh, but if you don't have, yeah, for sure. For me, like if I don't run, it's like, you just feel like something's off. Like, Oh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Um, but anything else that you want to dive into and this is totally whatever you want to dive into. Um, just as far as the, 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 you were talking about the panic attacks and stuff, just because I know that that's part of what Adam, who had connected us with, had said that you had a pretty, you know, inspiring story with all, with, with some anxiety, depression and stuff. Is there anything else you wanted to go into? And it's totally whatever your comfort level is on, on that. Cause I know that's, I, I, that is a common theme for a lot of runners or at some point in their life, or sometimes that's how people come into running. I know too. So. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm definitely comfortable talking about it. You know, when, you know, I think a lot of my issues as a freshman, you know, were, you know, just depression, anxiety, you know, and I think, you know, I'm not making excuses for myself, but it was, it was why I, you know, it was why I, you know, coped with, you know, with drinking alcohol. It was why I coped with, you know, with, uh, you know, not going to class and doing stuff and not taking care of myself. And, you know, I just didn't address it at that time. I also didn't really understand it. I didn't understand what I was going through because I had never yeah. really been diagnosed with depression or anxiety. And now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I definitely had these moments, especially in high school where, you know, I'd have a bad race and I wouldn't come out of my room for, you know, it felt like days, you know, only just to go to school and to go to practice. And, you know, it's one of those things that you can identify now so much more than then. And, you know, running has always been something that has been a positive thing for me, just like you're saying, it's, it's the difference maker for your day. If you don't do it, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be very apparent. And for me, how I kind of looked at it was that, you know, running is all, when I've been running well, I've been successful in other areas too. Yeah. So when I'm running well, I'm typically running, you know, I'm, I'm typically doing a pretty good job with, you know, schooling or my job or other things that are outside of that. And I think there's a really, you know, strong correlation between the two. And over the years, I've just, I've had my fair share of, you know, kind of ups and downs. For me, I, when I came back to St. Louis, I started working full time and I was going to school part time. And I, I think for a lot of people who are in their early 20s, there's a, there's a lot of the identity crisis, especially for us who work really hard type A, you know, we desperately want to be successful, but um, I wasn't living in that traditional world that a lot of my peers were. 
you know, so I wasn't on a team anymore. Um, I didn't have my best friends and everybody that I was, you know, really close with. They were all out of St. Louis. My family was out of St. Louis, you know, um, you know, and I felt really left out and I felt really alone. And I had brothers, you know, I had people who I was training with, but they didn't really understand, you know, where I was in life. They, you know, they were married, they had kids. So it was a, it was totally an age gap. And I told myself during that time, like, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can professionally so that when I come out of this, I'm going to be a leg up professionally than, you know, my peers. So maybe I don't get the same party, you know, uh, the social calendar and all those different things, but I'm going to maximize my time with coaching high school cross country or, you know, doing, you know, doing different, different types of things. I actually ended up taking a job uh, working, you know, traveling around the country and I sold a, uh, sold this, it's a company called Orange Mud and they sell outdoors uh, kind of equipment. And uh, I got to work at trade shows, one being the National Running Convention, which is the biggest running event, um, you know, in the world. And it's in Austin, Texas every year. So I had that experience. And so all throughout there, there was a lot of success. There was a lot of things going on, but I still felt like I couldn't find my path. And then I was the kind of the, you know, the, the odd man out with a lot of things that I was doing. And so I just was really up and down with my depression, my anxiety. It really affected me. It affected, it didn't really affect how I was training, but it affected just my personal life. And, yeah. you know, for me, I've always just like, I've really felt like any, any time I've gone through adversity in my life, I've always come back from it. And I always have a comeback. And it's never my, like my struggles have never defined me. It's essentially, in some ways, they define me in the sense that uh, if I struggle, I'm always going to be more successful after I struggle. And it's just always been my mentality. I, I love the bounce back and I fall in love with the comeback story. And so I just had so many of those, those kind of ups and downs and it's gotten me to a point now where, um, you know, I've been able to actually finally, you know, got on meds and things that, that were very helpful for me uh, because I think a lot of runners also, you know, I've heard this from several runners is they don't take meds because they're afraid that it might affect their running. I was that same way. As silly as that sounds, you're thinking, I'm going to take yeah. these pills and they're going to make my running worse, which makes no sense logically. But, you know, I started taking I would them think and, that, though. Yeah. I think that would go through my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, because we're so neurotic. We're so <laughs> methodical about what works and what doesn't. And yeah. it was actually a buddy of mine. He he runs a podcast that I think he pretty, he's kind of, he's known nationally a little bit. He's from okay. St. Louis. His name's Justin Horniker. And okay. uh, he's kind of a, uh, uh, I would say like a, I don't know how to describe him. I don't know. I'm trying to do him justice here, but he's a, He's a he's not a reporter, but he he reports on the sport. So okay. he does a ton, and a lot of the big names in the sport know who he is, and we'll do interviews with him. And he just has a lot of respect, and I'm really proud of him because you know we we both were from St. Louis. We ran against each other in high school, and he's very open about mental health on uh, just on social media and everything. And his page is like you know professional running and mental health and social you know you know social justice you know things and different stuff like yeah. he's very progressive and it's he's a fun follow. Um, for, for people who kind of want to see, you know, him go after Nike for drugging, you know, doping and all these different things. <laughs> and uh, he had posted, he's taking medication and he put together his progression. He's like, I've been on medication for two weeks and my running hasn't changed a bit. And I was, that was where I, I messaged him separately and I was like, Hey, what are you using? Hey, is this actually true? And yeah. for me, that was like the light switch. Like I can go do this. So yeah. a lot of why I've been able to be vocal is because other people have been vocal. Yeah. Rob Carr, I don't know if you know that name or not. He's What's a professional. The name? Yeah, Rob Carr. He's um okay. professional ultra marathon runner. I forget who he's sponsored by, but he ran for Butler University. He was okay. a good division one runner and then switched over to ultras. He has an amazing video. If you go and search it, you search just Rob Carr on YouTube and then put depression right after it. Okay. And he runs 
the Grand Canyon Trail. And I think he got the, I forget what the term is. Is it FKT or whatever it is uh, when you, you set a record of running a specific trail? And he, I believe he got the record on this trail, but he has a video. I don't know if it's a drone or whatever it is. It follows him this entire run as he okay. does this like super epic run and he talks the entire time about depression and oh. about his story and what he goes through and about his girlfriend who's so supportive of him. And when he brought this video out, it just took, I think, the running community by storm and him sharing that openness was huge and realizing there's a lot of people out there that struggle with mental health and a lot of people who run because we use it as our own therapy. So that's, that's for me, it's important for me to be vocal about it. Also too, as a coach, I have a lot of athletes that struggle with it. So yeah. I want them to understand that they're understood and they're heard, not yeah. you know, alienated because they miss a run because it's something that, you know, they're, that's out of their control. Right. No, it's super helpful. And I put down both those names too. Justin Horniker it was, right? Yep, yep Horniker. And Rob Krar. Yep, Krar. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to look them up and kind of maybe take that or put it somewhere that that's helpful to know. And that's awesome that like, yeah, that them being vocal is what has allowed you to be vocal. And I think that's just like a lot of things in life. The more we can share our story and, and be vocal about those things, the more other people can, can learn from that. And it sounds like, I mean, that was even the reason you decided to go on meds and you know, and that's helping and it's not affecting your, your running. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would think that too, though, myself, I'd probably be like, Oh man, like, or it's yeah. I, I would worry about that too. Um, but I do feel like, and I said this before, I do feel like, I mean, there's a decent population in the running world that do, you know, I mean, it's with outside the running world too, but that, you know, deal with anxiety, depression, and, and, and sometimes because running does become your, your medication, you know, at, at first maybe. And I feel like even for myself, I even have a degree of anxiety and I don't think I even really realized it until I was older. Same thing like what you were saying. I was like, I go back, I'm like, oh wow, that's like what that was probably when I was younger. Um, but I think that's one reason I've always came to running because it's kind of helped to calm those thoughts, <laughs> you know, a little bit at least. Um, yeah. I'm like, it's kind of when you do the reflection, you're like, oh, like, I think that's part of what's drawn me to running too. So, but that's super helpful. Thank you. Anything else there you want to share or anything else that are <clears throat> helpful for our listeners that we missed? I think it just more than anything, uh, my running story, like running to me is so much different than it was when I was in high school or like even just college, how I view it. And the reason why I compete is for two reasons is one, I love that kind of satisfaction of knowing that you're going after something, you're challenging yourself. It allows me to challenge myself in other areas of life because I'm not afraid to show up and do something, you know, and uh, second, I do it because I want to be a good example. I want to be a role model for the people that I coach. So I want them to know that I'm doing it with them. You know, so if I'm telling you to go run, you know, hill repeats on a, you know, Wednesday morning and it's, you know, 90, you know, 90% humidity and <laughs> 75 degrees already, not even like what it is in Florida, but you know, just one of those, one of those hard mornings and, you know, they have to go struggle. I can say, I'll see you out there, you know, cause I'll be in the park doing a workout too. You know, yeah. and so that's, that's, what's really important to me is that running is not just about, you know, for myself, but it's about being a good role model. It's allowing me to, to, to set an example so that I hope I can get more out of my athletes in it. Yep. No, I love that. And I love, I guess what you had said earlier too, like where you're like, when I'm more, you know, disciplined in my running than other things in my life are more disciplined or you're, you're more successful in running. So is your life. And I've definitely found that myself too. Like you think sometimes, Oh, maybe if I don't spend as much time on running, like I'll have more time for other things. It's like the complete opposite. Like even these first three weeks of being here in Florida, 
for adjusting, I've just been running with no plan. And I, I kind of feel like actually I'm not as focused like in my business and stuff. I mean, I'm still just trying to get settled in and stuff, but I'm like this week I was like, okay, I think I need to get back on a running plan. I think because I, I feel like I'm not as disciplined in every other area of my life right now. So yeah. it totally relates for me too. So, um, but awesome. Cool. Well, I'd love to ask you a little bit if you're, if you're fine with that about yeah. your business um, and how you got started with that and what that's looked like, because like I shared with you before this podcast, you know, I have a bunch of listeners too, that are also PTs that work with runners. Um, so I just think it could be in coaches, like interesting to know what your journey has been working as a running coach, how that came to be and everything. Um, so right now you are work, you mainly work with runners, mainly in the area, but you do a little bit online. Um, how long have you been doing this work or did it kind of evolve? Yeah. So I've been coaching as a running coach, like coaching high school, cross country and track and youth running, um, since I believe since 2013, maybe, maybe the year before. So I've been doing it for about seven or eight years, uh, that I've actually been coaching, but it was when I worked at Bigger Running Company, I actually throughout the years have always had a job there um, until 2015. And I was always working there while doing these other jobs. And there were people that kind of come through the store that wanted training help and I just do it for free. So mm -hmm. there'd be a customer and I'd say, oh, I can train you because I'm a high school running coach, which doesn't give you the credibility to you know what a marathon is. But <laughs> it was just me wanting to help somebody. And they, they liked, you know, they liked my energy in the shop. And you know, we went from there. I just always kind of had the inclination to want to help people. Um, and that's something I, you know, tried to help my teammates within the off seasons in high school, you know, help them develop their plans or encourage them along the way. And so I started the coaching business side of things, the actual personal training uh, in 2015, the fall of 2015. And that's up to, to present day to day. And it's, it's changed a lot. You know, like when I first started it, <clears throat> I had actually was training about six people for free the spring of 15 going into the fall of 15. And uh, one of my athletes, uh, Mike Miller, who uh, was a successful business owner himself, and he was ha he had met me through Big River. He loved the experience of working with me. And he kept saying to me, Mark, you got to start, you got to start this as a business. And I'm like, yeah. no, like, I'm not starting this as a business. That's so stupid. What am I going to be a running coach? Like, that's <laughs> not what I'm, that's not like my destined path to be a running coach. Like, hi, I'm Mark Spielhoff, a running coach. Like how silly does that sound? And he's like, no, no, you can, you can do it. You could be that guy. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I, you know, I'm one of those people that like likes attention until I get it. And then I really hate it. So it's like, you know, it's like so the idea of working really hard to get the attention is great. And then once you have it, I'm like, ah, I don't really ever feel like I fit into the role. Um, you know, what I'm looking for. And so he just kept saying to me, dude, you got to do it. You got to do it. And so I said, well, if everybody's successful in their fall race, then I'll consider starting a business. And everybody was successful, you know, in their race. And he's looking at me and I'm like, okay, I'll start a business after. And what was really cool is that when I first opened up my, my training business, I already had, uh, you know, six people that could give testimonials. So yeah, I had experience yeah. and I encourage that for anybody that's getting into coaching is kind of, you know, if you want to, if you want to kind of see where you're at, I don't know what your experience is, but it really actually helped me to kind of have some test dummies per se. Some people yep. that were kind of friends or family that were willing to to try something with you. So you could just kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, yep. And from there, it, it was, it was a job where I was working it, you know, and I was, you know, right off the bat, I had a handful of clients. It wasn't a lot. And, but I, in the community, I was really interconnected because I put on charity running events. I'd worked at the shop. So I knew a lot of people. Yep. And it just took, you know, a little bit of time for people to actually want training. 
And uh, by, I, mean, I just saw the growth go, you know, kind of pretty fast as that first year went. And it was really just a, a part-time job for that, for that first year. And then it all of a sudden, you know, within the second, third, you know, second year going to third year as a full-time job. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, was able to add other coaches to work with me. We have a dietitian, you know, and there was just more opportunities in the community that we could do more events. And so now we're up to over a hundred people on our team and we have really cool, you know, events that we put together and it's really just become everything I've wanted it. Obviously I want to get out of it. Uh, but I'm just really grateful and, um, you know, just really lucky that it's turned into what it has. Uh, but it, it, I'm really lucky because I didn't have to open up a shop, you know, and put a lot of money into something and, you know, pray and do a lot of marketing and advertising and pray that people come in right off the bat so I can keep my shop open. I got to do this really slowly. So my growth was, I got to do it on my own time. So I, my job was, I was working, going to school. And so I was essentially just coaching and doing stuff at night. So I was just working, you know, every night of the week, you know, from maybe five o'clock till 10 o'clock at night. And so it was just kind of the norm. It was the hustle. And yep. uh, it was one of those things that because I got to do it in small increments, I never had to, you know, just totally like, you know, put a ton of risk in it. Cause when it became a full-time business, that was a natural progression um, yeah. opposed to rushing it and forcing it. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. Well, it worked out that you still had, you had a job or you're in school, whichever. It yeah. Was. Yeah. I had a job and I was in school. Yeah. So. In school, and then you're also yeah. starting the side hustle. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, you had that that cushion, and then once it became a business, then you could let the rest go and 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 do that. Well, that's awesome. What um what was I gonna say? Um, going back to at the beginning, you were talking about um oh yes, you were talking about the like training a few people like for free basically, right? And then getting testimonials and stuff or it was a low cost, or I don't know, like family members and stuff. I definitely think that that's what I did when I first started off. I had a couple of friends. I was just like, hey, can I practice with you? Like, they wanted plans too, but like, um, just the help to like, yeah, get the systems down, validate that you know what you're doing and just like, yeah, and, and get that going. And and now now you have a team of like 100, over 100 people. That's awesome. How many coaches do you have on your team? You said you have a couple other coaches you brought in too. Yeah. So we have, um, you know, so we have three, we have three coaches and then we have one dietitian, um, okay. you know, outside of myself. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. And you know, the, my other coaches have a handful of clients themselves and then they coach also in the community with other things. So they're yeah. uh, essentially independent contractors. So they work with our team, but then they also um, have kind of their own things. So it's, yeah. it's cool. I want them to be able to pursue what they love to do um, and their communities and stuff. And I'm just really lucky to have them on my team or be affiliated with me and, you know, yeah. in some regard. Um, so that's kind of how that looks. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's, that's helpful to know. So you, they do their own thing as well, like their own coaching too, or. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah. So like Jason is one is my coach and he also yeah. is the coach. Uh, so he runs a whole, he runs the elite running kind of group of St. Louis. Okay. And then he coaches with me. Uh, and for a lot of it, they came on and they were, kind of more overflow and now it's becoming one of those things we're trying to build their list out too so yeah. it's cool and that's you know every year you know we're getting closer to the closer and closer to that team component that I really want to get to um, it yeah. is a team very much so but really uh, you know my idea you know my goal is to you know to to have this well-oiled machine where you know we're you know we're doing all these different team you know team events and there's more of a connection between everybody um, yeah. and you, you know continue to feel affiliated to the brand and just like you'd be if you're running on a high school or college team. That's that's the goal yeah. here. Not just you're trained by Mark Spiewak or 
Jason Holroyd and you know you yeah. happen to have a name that you're sending payment to every month <laughs> yeah yeah no I love that that's that you want to create that community and yeah that team aspect and it's mainly just in the community I mean I know you said you've trained some people outside but your focus is like this community of people in the St. Louis area correct yeah so we're we're specifically in St. Louis just in terms of like what we do but we do work with people that are outside of St. Louis and that's really just for based on referrals yeah um, so uh we're what I work, the way I work is I, I coach people, you know, I think every running coach at this point is pretty much remote in the sense that we write training plans and we're communicating right. by phone and email. Uh, but yeah. then I'm working with like high school kids in the off season. So I work with right. them in one-on-one sessions or, um, or, you know, meeting, you know, doing like actual club events where we, um, well, before COVID we're meeting at different places once a month and having a pub run or, or doing, you know, some type of thing in our community. Um, and, for me, I'm really, really, really uh, invested in St. Louis and what, what the different charities are around here. I've always felt like, you know, for me, I have a platform. I have people who follow me and yeah. I don't take that for granted. And I don't want to just have a group of people. You know, it's, it's rare to have a hundred people who are consuming and what you're doing. And I take that, I take, you know, I don't take that for granted at all. And I want to make sure we're doing something powerful with that. So I'm always trying to find organizations to partner up with. Um, or different things that our team can do collectively as a group for bonding purposes, um, but also for the greater good of our of our community. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's cool. That's really cool that you've built that that all up. Did you have anyone that you, I think you might have kind of mentioned it when we were talking about, did you have anyone that was a mentor when you were growing this, or you? I thought you had mentioned that there was another program you wanted to kind of model after, or anything like that? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, if somebody talks to you and tells you that they didn't have somebody that helped them along the way, they're, <laughs> they're lying out of their teeth. I mean, I have so many people who have helped me. I have, yeah. I, I have so many people in my life who are mentors of mine. I'm so grateful for that. And I've, you know, I've, I've been able to connect with so many, you know, just awesome minds and they're specifically like people that I work like in St. Louis, that they've either been people that I knew through Big River when I sold shoes and they were business people themselves yep. or they're local runners, whatever that is. But there's a company in Chicago called Dan Walters Running Coaching. Okay. And uh, he, I've had a few friends that have trained with them and he has this just amazing running coaching business. Like <laughs> I see his stuff on social media and it would be easy for me to be jealous of it, honestly. Because <laughs> like I, I look at his stuff and I'm like, it just, from a presentation standpoint, it just, you know, feels like he blows you out of the water. It's just everything yeah. that you want to be. And, you know, he does such a good job with his marketing. He does such a good job with his team events. He has so many people on his team. They're all invested in the brand. They all have yeah. his jersey on. And, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to meet the guy. And I really want to talk to him because I, I felt like, you know, I'm in his, you know, he's probably about five or seven years more into business than I am. And yeah. I feel like I'm trending in his direction. But at the same time, you know, and we're, we're doing things different. We're in different cities, you know, we're different styles of coaches, but yeah. I want to know what he does. And, and so I just said to him, I, I cold, you know, kind of cold emailed him and I, you know, kind of pitched him the idea of, Hey, can I have an hour of your time? And can I pay you like just to kind of consult, you know, be a consultant for me. Yeah. Yeah. And he was so gracious. He was like, he's like, dude, you don't have to pay. I would love to tell you all about my business. And yeah. he spent over an hour with me on the phone and told me everything about his business. And I was just, totally blown away and totally inspired, especially for somebody who's technically my competitor, although we're not in the same city, you, right. know, who, you know, why would he want to share this with me? What's that advantage for him? 
Yeah. Um, and he, and he, he really inspired me on what direction I kind of want to go with now with our business because we're kind of a critical point for scaling and yeah. uh, just getting his, his ideas and, you know, his, his feedback was really, really helpful. But what was really cool was, as you know, when you speak with coaches, we're used to being the coach or you're used to being, you know, when you're right. a PT in yep. charge of the conversation. Yep. So um, here he is as a coach pumping me up with the words I would use to pump up other people. So he's like, you know, Mark, you know, you're doing a great job and all this different stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're still in my lines. And I'm also thinking in my head, like I'm laughing because I'm like, oh my God, it's working on me. You know, yep. all these words that I use on other people. So yeah. it's a reminder that we all need that, that coaching and that, you know, from anybody and that, that feedback. Yeah, no, I can relate to that on a lot of different levels. Like, yeah, it's like the coaches I'm coaching now. And then, but it's like, I still have coach, you know, coaches that are coaching me more like on the business side of things. Uh-huh. You know? And it's like, yeah, you need that. And, and I think it's awesome that, and what I'm finding as I, you know, move along in business in general is just people are more than willing usually to share. And I mean, the right people, there are people that are more protective of their stuff and whatnot, but the people that are most successful. So this, this, um, guy that you're talking to Dan Walters, you said, right. In, yeah, yeah. in Chicago. Um, so he, part of why he's successful probably is cause he is willing to share and he's not, you know what I mean? Like he is of that like abundance mindset of, you know, helping others. Cause really it ultimately it's, it's not affecting like that's what I've had to learn too it's really not affecting you by helping someone else it's usually something else is going to come of it and it's going to help you both in some way so and there's 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 so many people in this world you know yeah. so and yeah. there's so many different types of personalities there's somebody who might come to me and be a better fit for you than they right. would be for me yep. and that's yep. not anything personal it's you know, somebody, if you're hiring somebody to help guide you in a direction that's really important to you, you need somebody that's going to match up in terms of personality. It's like dating in some sense, you know, because yep. it's, you know, you need a good fit. And I, I, that's why I admire so much about the Dan Walters of the world is that he recognizes that, but he's yep. also a kind of person that if I, if you really honestly are in this business and you are a, you own a coaching business, your biggest fault is that you probably don't do business 100% the right way because we do a lot of leeway because we're coaches at heart. Right. And what I mean right. by that is that you're willing to coach somebody for free that, you know, has an issue with finances that loses their job for four months, you know, yep. do things that your business coach would just like be like, are you kidding me? Yep. Why aren't you yep. trying to make money on that? And it's just, I think at the end of the day, you know, we have this, this natural, you know, just inclination to want to help people. Yep. And so when I come across somebody like Dan, when I come across somebody like yourself, I know that they're not helping me for any objective. They're not, they're not looking for an angle out of it. When I help somebody yep. with their business or encourage somebody with their coaching, it has nothing to do with myself. It's just how we are. It's how we're yep. wired and you just want to yeah. see people succeed. And I feel like, you know, we were given this gift to be able to encourage people. So it doesn't matter who you use it on, you know, we share it as much as we can. Yep. No, I love that. And it's, yeah. And I think going, I mean, there's so many good nuggets in there, but in just the point you said, like someone that you're going to help, you might not be the right fit to be their coach. They're just not going to click. They're not going to relate. And someone else might. And it's, it, there's, yeah, there's so many people to help. It's really, it's not a competition, but it's, I think it's what we're ingrained in our like society or whatnot that we should be in competition, but it's like the complete opposite. It's yeah. Anyways. So I love that mindset. I'm, that's awesome that you were yeah able to find some mentorship through him and it sounds like some others as well. Um, going off that too, is there any, I always like to ask any coaches I had on, I had a coach on last week, um, you know, as I'm getting into the training side of things more and more, um, 
what is there any like a certain i guess training philosophy you have or anyone you like to really follow on the training side or is it just a combination of stuff you picked up through the years of training yourself and, and talking with other runners how do you kind of um you know structure your training and how you've learned and grown in that yeah regard? no absolutely i love this question because um, I was one of those high school kids that had all of the running books. So the Jack Daniels <laughs> and the lore of running and yep. Lydia, Arthur Lydiard's book, but it wasn't Lydiard's language. It was somebody who interpreted it. I forget the guy's name. He like wrote, basically wrote it in, you know, in a more simple terms to teach me about all these things. And I'm going to like tell it, I, I want everybody to know this. Like I, I never passed a science class. I barely passed science classes in high school. I hated science. But for whatever reason, I hated math too. I sucked at math. <laughs> but with running math and running science, I'm yep. the biggest nerd. And I understand it all and I get it. And I'm like, where is this coming from? If only like in school, everything was a running question, you know, it'd be, it'd be so much easier. So I, I, I'm just such a student of the sport. Um, it, admittingly, I have, a lot more, I have a lot more talent in the encouragement and the support and being able to apply the training to an individual. Um, yeah. I, I'm not as book smart as some other coaches and I'm continuing to learn as much as I can. And that's why I, I am very grateful for the coaches that I have on my staff because they are very book smart and yeah. they help me with kind of different questions I have in terms of training. If I have an athlete that I feel like is, you know, the stuff we're working on hasn't been working, you know, and I've kind of run myself into, you know, ground and, you know, I know that, you know, coach Crow has worked, you know, coach for over 30 years. I understand that he's going to have a little more knowledge than me and be able to offer some other perspective. So I'm always open to learning more and being adaptive as I go, because I think the sport, we're learning more about it and we're always changing. Yep. Uh, the best, the best way I've learned is by working with more people uh, more than anything. But when it comes to philosophy, just in general, uh, my philosophy is train smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. um, and when I, because I coach people who are are running as a hobby. It's not their job. My right. number one thing is to make sure this is an added bonus for life on add stress. And I think the biggest mistake that I see coaches make when they're in our field is that they put a lot of expectations on their athletes. Like, okay, so you're going to be a successful marathoner. You got to run 80 miles a week, which <laughs> I, I agree. Like I, I, as a personal, as an athlete myself, really competitive. Yeah. I'm running hundred plus miles a week. Yeah. And you need that to reach your fullest potential. You know, yeah. not, not saying that every person needs that, but that's the mindset you got to have. But the reality is that if you're going to work with Joe Schmo, he's got, he's got four kids. He works, he works every single day from eight to right. five. He never gets to see his kids. So he's got to run every day at five 30. So having him do doubles makes zero sense for his life. Okay. Well, maybe he is, maybe he is okay with doing doubles and his wife is just amazing. And she's like, you can run as much as you want, Joe. <laughs> uh, what ends up happening is that because he already has all this other stress in his life, He's not going to train as healthy as you see people come through your practice. So yep. he's going to be more susceptible to injury. He's not getting as much sleep, all these different things. And so I recognize that you have, that you have to understand that people cannot, most adults cannot train the same way that somebody who's single or on a college team can train yep. when they're in that sport. And so, so much of what I do is based around what, can, what can you do? So I talked to you and I said, Kristen, what, what is your time? Like how much time can you give to running? What are your other stressors? I want to know what's going on in your life, not to pry, but I want to know, are there situations I should be aware of? Like, because that's right. going to help right. me. Do you only have, if you work in a PT practice, is your only time that you're running is at 5:30 at night in the heat of the sun in Florida. Okay. So we're probably going to have to adjust things and change things up. And so, yep. so much of it is individualized and based on that person. 
Um, and so kind of to answer your question is, yeah, my philosophy comes from, you know, Lydiard and comes from the, you know, stuff I've learned from Daniels and learned from coaches and taking yeah. stuff. I think every coach steals from every coach. Um, that's where the science behind it comes and the actual workouts yeah. and training. But how I distribute those miles is based on the person's, you know, commitments outside of work, their family commitments, their stress, their age, their ability, all those different things are going to help me factor that. Um, and I, I've always kind of said this to people is that I really believe coaching is like cooking. And so it's like, you know, I could have the same ingredients that you do, you know, but if I don't know, if I have a different oven and I have a different, you know, different temperature that we're living in, I'm living in Alaska and you're living in Florida. There's so <laughs> many things that could go into changing the environment that you're cooking in. And yep. so when I put that in there, I could have the same ingredients that you do. You have the same ingredients to me. And we might come out with totally different, you know, food, totally different. Right. Even right. as simple as how I crush it up. You know, I'm a guy. So I, you know, if I crack an egg, you know, hell, hell there might be some shells in it, you know, and everything, <laughs> you know, mucks around. And so I, I think so much of that is the same as with coaching is that you can give everybody all the perfect science, all the perfect things. But if you yep. don't know how to, to distribute that, you might not come out with the best end result. And that's what's really important to me. So yeah. I would rather be willing to say, I need to learn more. I'm continuing to learn more, um, you know, and find the right information as well as toning those other skills as well. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Cause you know, even for me, like, you know, I haven't been in the coaching realm. I've been coaching people maybe indirectly, but you know, it's only been like two years that I've been coaching, but so there's always that sense of, Oh, do I know enough? Like, even though I've like been running my whole life and all that stuff. And the more I, you know, I coach I've for me personally too, like, I feel like it comes down to like, maybe this is wrong. Other people will say differently, but I don't, I don't think that exact workouts are the, the most important, like it's run training. Like, I mean, you're probably going to get them better, but it comes down to a lot more, like you were saying, like listening to what they need and not, not over, not under training them, um, their life circumstances, all that is, I don't know. And keeping for me too, a big part is like, if we can just keep you running. Like that's like 10 times more important yeah, sure. than anything else. Like if I can just keep you running, like you're going to get better, <laughs> like, um, more, like more than anything else. Um, I think it's just, there's, there's always that sense of, Oh, I don't know enough. There's more to learn. And there is, but, and it's just like, pick up more from more coaches. Like I, you know, worked with another coach this past winter that I picked up some stuff with. Um, but yeah, just it's reassuring, I guess, to hear too, as no. a coach. I love, no, no, I love that. And I'll use this as an, as an, as an example. And this is why I have so much respect for Jason and coach Crow, who I work with and Jamie, who I've added on to, she has the same philosophy, but a few years ago, I had an athlete who contacted me and a lot, what I realized is people do not contact me for my secret workouts or my secret yeah. recipe. They, yeah. can't, they typically want to work with me because of positive energy. There's other coaches yep. that might be out of there, but they might just feel like they're going to mesh well with more of uh, my attitude and how, you know, how I approach things. And I know more than anything else is sometimes it's just the, the environment you train in is what's going to make you successful. Um, yep. You got to believe what you're doing. You got to have support along the way. And so I had an athlete contact me. She's not from St. Louis. And she's like, I've been referred to you. And I've heard that you do great work with people like myself. Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I train with Jeff Galloway's book and I'm not changing my methods. I'm doing this. And so <laughs> For me, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't typically like to take other like specific books and just yeah. get somebody else's training plan because that's not as fun for me. Yeah. But she was like, but I really want to work with you because I need your encouragement. And my number one goal here is to be healthy. This makes me fitter. 
this makes me healthier. My doctor knows how much of a difference this makes, and I need somebody's positive support and encouragement. It was a kind of a light bulb for me. I was like, this can still be coaching. It doesn't have to be this perfect training plan that I designed myself. It can be me facilitating something else and you know, giving the words to her. Because clearly, if, she, if Galloway's book was so phenomenal, you know, in terms of the coaching side of it, she would be using it every single day. But she recognizes this is a good formula for me, but I still need the coaching aspect. Right, right. And so I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of looked at Galloway's stuff in the past and, you know, kind of laughed like, oh, run, walk, like, yeah, yeah like, whatever. Like, yeah, you're going to be successful doing that. And, <laughs> and uh, I was talking to Jason and Coach Crow and they took it so serious. And I was expecting them to be laughing. Like, you know, like, oh, that's a joke, Jeff Galloway. No, they were like, Jason's like, I actually had an athlete that I suggested run Jeff Galloway because he was injured one year and he really still wanted to run Boston. And I tried not, I didn't try to get him not to do it. And I convinced him to do the run-walk method. And that actually helped him. And Coach Crow's like, I don't know anything about Jeff Galloway's method. I know about it, obviously, but I have never read the book, so I'm going to buy it. So we all bought <laughs> Jeff Galloway's book. We have like kind of a little book club with Jeff Galloway's running book. And here are three, you know, kind of elitist, snobby runners who are reading Galloway and really dissecting it and kind of saying, this is actually really good for certain people. Right. And that was what really helped me take another step in coaching and realizing that, you know, you're going to have an athlete someday that isn't going to be able to handle maybe what your, you know, what your normal training is, you know, right. and for a reason, it could be an injury, but they might still, still specifically have a goal that they want to meet. And if you want to get them there, you have to be willing to adapt and do different things. And so I'm grateful for the Jeff Galloways of the world because he did build a method that works for somebody specifically trying to have a goal of completing a race and not getting hurt. Yeah. So that's something that I've always kind of taken away from it. And I never tried to be ignorant or one box because I realized there's hundreds of different ways to get somebody to a finish line. Right. Yeah. No, I like that. It's yeah, there is. And it's just, yeah, with anything really in life, I I've had a couple athletes, actually a couple of really good clients back um, in North Dakota who follow the Galloway method too so that was like and I didn't know about it until they brought it up I'm like do you know about that I'm like no actually I don't but tell me about it <laughs> they're pretty like strict down like we want to stick with the run walk this works for us I was like all right cool so I just had to learn it like, all right we'll we'll do this <laughs> so yeah that's just good to hear yeah it works and yeah that's why there are a bunch of different philosophies out there at one point it probably solved one person's problem we found out it worked for a bunch of other people too. Um, there's a specific yeah. niche. So awesome. Cool. Well, anything else you wanted to share on the coaching side? I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been good. I'm sure I could talk like so many good nuggets here. <laughs> no, no. I, I think really more than anything is just that like when I talk about my coaching is my, my, I, you know, my coaching business is really important to me and it's, it's important to me because I get the opportunity to meet a lot of different people that I would never would meet. And it allows me to use the sport of running and, you know, hopefully my skill of being able to, to lead and inspire um, and connect with people that, you know, have connected me to so many great people. And you know this being in your own running communities. Now you've been in several running communities. Yep. You can go anywhere in the world and you can feel at home in a running community. Because yep. the people, I don't care where you're at. I've been on the East Coast with some of the angriest people and they're still really nice <laughs> in the running community, you know, and, and it's, it's everywhere you have a home with them. And I think that's what's amazing about it. So. Um, I, I just feel very fortunate to be able to do the job that I, you know, that I do because I, I, um, you know, like yourself, I get to pursue my passion 
and something that was a hobby. And some days I like pinch myself and I'm like, is this really my job? Right. Like actually like financially successful doing my hobby. Like this doesn't make any sense. Uh, And so it's kind of a wake up call, but also a reminder to you that not many people on this earth get to say that they, they do that every single day. So that's why for me, I try to maximize my time and really give my best effort every single day instead of feeling guilty for it. Um, I'll feel guilty if I don't maximize it. So I almost look at it as almost like a talent in itself and do whatever I can to get the most out of myself um, and hopefully inspire other people to follow things that they're passionate about. doesn't necessarily have to be running, but hopefully somebody sees what I do and how happy I'm doing it. And they think about themselves and what they're happy with. And, you know, maybe they'd make that same transition. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I feel like that too, as far as like being able to do something I actually love. Cause there was a time very recently I was not at all, which makes me extra grateful for everything I'm doing now. But same thing, like I, I feel like deep down everyone could be doing what they really want. I mean, it takes a lot of, I don't know. It takes a lot of, a lot of things, I guess, but it's so same thing. Like I hope by people doing what they really love and really feel called to do that might inspire other people to do the same thing. So, but I love that. Um, Lastly, last question I like to ask on the podcast, which might go back to, might be your coaching or it might be your personal experience. So I like to ask everyone, um, what is your breaking five moment? So for me, breaking five would be breaking five the mile. So for you, what was like something you don't think you didn't, you didn't think you could achieve or it could be an athlete, um, or just a really big lofty goal, um, that was achieved or that you worked towards either in your own running career or, and it could be a success you added as a coach too. Yeah, I uh, I love this question because there's I feel like I've had so many of these moments. Fortunately, professionally and personally, I'll use an athlete who um, who I worked with, and he had come to me, and at the time his half marathon PR was one thirty three and a half, and he said to me, "Listen, Mark, I want to run a three oh five marathon or faster, and I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I'm going to do it <laughs> in the next year." And I want to run, you know, 305 or faster, although my eight, my actual age group is 310, but I don't want to get in at 310. I want to get in at 305. And so I had never met the guy. He's telling me this and he says, you know, he's, you know, he says, uh, you know, you know, sometimes talk is cheap when it comes to, when it comes to people for the first time. But I'm one of those people that I, I tell people right off the bat, I've seen people do crazy stuff in the sport. So yeah. I believe in everybody. If you work hard, you just don't know where it's going to go. I can't guarantee anything, but I can guarantee you'll get better. And when you're talking about somebody who's running 133, that's a good half marathon time. Right. But he's got to double that. He's actually got to run a minute faster uh, than his PR twice in a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and also at the same time, he's only run, I think, one marathon up to this point. And it was a few years ago. So he had no credentials to be able to do this. And so I just said to him, I said, it's going to take work and you're going to have to run first. We're going to train for a half marathon because we got to get you faster and we're going to build your miles in the process and you're going to run more than you've ever run before. And then in the spring, we're going to train for a marathon and you're going to be faster when you train for that marathon because of what we do in the fall. And he's one of those guys just only motivated by Boston. He's not motivated as much by these other races. And, you know, I had to really convince him and sell him on if you run a fast half marathon, you're going to be able to run a fast marathon. And, you know, you're going to be consistent with your training. It's going to help you in the long run to your eventual goal. So let these small races be for me and let Boston be for you, you know, try to just convince them whatever it is to keep going. (laughs) And so that fall and this he John is the most determined person I've ever come across in my entire life. Because when you tell this guy that, you know, that, you know, this is what it takes and he fully commits it to it. 
he's not ever looking back. But I didn't know this in our first cycle of working together. Right. <laughs> and so we get ready that fall. He runs a 130, one half marathon. He PRs, which is great. But it's also a little disappointing, I think, a little bit because the weather was tough and he, you know, really felt like he could run 129. And that doesn't indicate off the bat that you're ready to go run 305, you know. Right. So it's, so he had a little bit of work to do from there. But from my sense, I said, that's some improvement. You know, he made an improvement with me and we still have time. You know, it's October and he's going to get ready for a race. So I convinced him to do grandma's that June so that we had more time to train. Yeah. And he, there's this racing series called the Frostbite Series in St. Louis. And my athletes hate me for it but I make them all do the short series because we don't have indoor track. And <laughs> I feel like this is a great opportunity for them to work on speed. And I feel like you, when you run a race, short races and you're with other people, that's a lot easier than, you know, just going out and running speed workouts on your own. So for a lot of them, it has nothing to do with PRing. We typically, we don't PR at these races, but yeah. I'll tell you this, all my athletes that run the frostbite series, regardless of how fast they run, they're the ones that PR in the spring. And the ones that don't run the frostbite series are usually the ones that don't PR. So yep. they grind through it. They don't like it. They hate me for it, but they do all of them. And God bless them. They, they, they stay committed. And so he does all those races. He does not want to do any of them. He does them. And he comes out that spring and just, just works extremely hard. He actually runs into a little bit of an injury leading up to that race, which was hard. It was a hamstring um, strain. And so we had to just kind of keep it. So we had to change things up. And so there's no guarantees going into this race, but he got himself ready he goes out, he runs the grandma's marathon. I'll never forget this. It's my, the day of my brother's wedding. I'm in Philadelphia and I'm watching it, you know, on my phone, you know, doing the tracker and he gets out the first 10 miles after we had talked for hours about not getting out too quick. He gets out too quick and I throw my phone and I walk out of the room. I'm just so frustrated. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this is, you know, you, you're setting yourself up to be able to do this. Like you just shot yourself in the foot. Anybody that's ever run a marathon knows that if you run too fast, first 10 miles, it's not going to be very easy. Yeah. So uh, he is just so tough. He comes back from those first 10 miles. He doesn't overreact. He settles in and he runs a 303 marathon. And <laughs> I just was so fired up because it was just like, it was so inspiring. But what happens after he runs this 303 marathon? He says, okay, so he's gotten into Boston. This was his lifelong goal. Yeah. And he says to me, Mark, I'm going to run Boston next year, and I'm going to break three hours. Yep. Yep. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my head, like, God, you don't understand. The Boston <laughs> Marathon course is so hard. Like, it's, this is going to take work. And he's, he's not totally sold on, on training as much as I wanted to train that summer. And, you know, I had to convince him again, we're going to train this summer. Or this fall, we're going to run a half marathon. Yep. And then in the wintertime, we're going to run a lot of miles. Well, here was what's happening. He was having his second baby in February, right before the Boston Marathon. So not only are we getting ready to train for another race and get ready to do this something different, he has to, you know, get adapt himself. And so, to his credit, he was sold right off the bat. He did whatever it took. He, you know, did such a good job being a great dad, um, being a great parent in the process. He already had, a, you know, his first child. Uh, and so throughout that winter, you know, he just he busted his butt and got out the door and got his miles in. Did never make excuses for himself himself in really good shape going into that spring and I, I was very confident he was going to break three hours but what ended up happening was the last Boston, last Boston right, marathon that was run uh if for those of you that remember it was kind of a warmer day and it wasn't a it wasn't a cool day it wasn't PR optimal weather yeah and I was a little worried about it and for us we're both over six feet tall our statue is just gonna you know not be as conducive to running well in the heat than some other you know some other athletes and I, yeah. I said to him 
we've got to adjust our game plan because it was supposed to be, the weather was supposed to be like very similar to the year before, which was awful, like the worst <laughs> Boston ever. And then it switched, their forecast switched within like 24 or 48 hours. And so I called him and I said, this is not me doubting you at all, but I said, this is a marathon. And if you want to be anywhere close to running your best race, we've got to adjust our game plan. We cannot get it out as fast as we thought we were going to get out because this course is too hard. And with the Newton Hills, if we get out quick on a hot day, you're going to blow up. It's just, we got to be smart about it. And he was, you know, super receptive to it. But I said to him, I said, I'm telling you, man, if you run this new strategy, you'll put yourself in the best position possible to have a shot at breaking three. If you do what we were talking about going into this race, you will be significantly off that mark. So me personally, I, and I asked him, I said, what would you rather? Would you rather be in the ballpark? Or would you rather put yourself out of it, you know, before you even get started? Yep. And he was like all on board, which to his, to his credit, that's a huge thing to change the day before a race. Right. Totally change what we were preparing for, especially because he was very fit. And that day, a lot of people got out too fast and, you know, ended up slowing down because it was hot. He ran so smart from start to finish. He ran the smartest race that I've really ever seen anybody run. Um, yep. And anybody that knows that course, when he got to the Newton Hills, that's where it got hard. And he really pressed through the Newton Hills because he got outsmart the first 10. And within the last, you know, four, three or four miles, he started to fade a little bit, but he hung in there. And so on the Boston Marathon tracker, you can see the time, but you can, after they cross that last mark, I think it's 40K, yeah. you can't see anything else. So it's just a time. So it says this is where he's on at the course. You know, it says he's at 26 miles, but he could be at 24, you know, 0.9 at that point because he doesn't know how fast he's running. And the clock's going, the clock's going, and we're all sitting here watching him like, oh, my God, oh, my God. He's trying to break three hours. That's all he cares about. He's so serious about breaking three hours. And it's like 2.59.50, or, like or I think it was like 45 when he's coming in. And yeah. uh, I'm thinking in my head, my God, this is so disappointing. He's going to run three hours and like, you know, oh one or three ten, And I'm just disappointed for him. I'm sad for him. And I'm like, you know, you know, I embarrassed to admit this, but you're kind of in that defeatist mode because you, you know, he's not coming in anytime soon uh, yeah. because he's not seeing it. And I'm thinking, oh man, did I, did I get him out too smart? You know, did I, was I, you know, was I, you know, too conservative with it? And all of a sudden I see it across 259.52. Oh my he's God. Right there. Because I, once he was at 259.45, you're not thinking he's coming in on the three. Right. 259.52, got up, went nuts, oh went God. crazy, was so fired up. It was so inspiring. And to that, uh, you know, was such an inspiring moment because he did it all himself. Yeah. And what's really cool was this was an athlete that bought into what I, what I felt was right for him. Right. Trusted me. Yeah, not just one time, but he trusted me the year before, and then he trusted yeah. me again. And to have that buy-in, and then for us to have, it was kind of essentially, I look at it like in sports, it was like winning two championships. Because yeah. we won it the year before with 303, <laughs> we had a miraculous one, and then we did it again. Yeah. So he's the kind of athlete you're just so excited about because you have that, you know, he has that will to succeed. And, I, and that would probably be one of my most uh, exciting moments as a coach or a runner myself. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that story. He seems like a very dedicated and determined individual. And like you said, like trusting of you and like, I'm going to do this. This is my goal. Yeah. No one's going to tell me I can't, you know, <laughs> break three hours basically then in what amount of time when he was running a 133 half. So shoot, <laughs> that's awesome. It's very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, and with that said too, where can our listeners um, find you at? 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you want to follow our team pages, it's S-P-E-W-A-K training. So that's Spewak training. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Um, any, I don't think we're on anything else yet. Maybe TikTok someday. <laughs> yeah, you should then, get on TikTok. Yeah, that'd be fun, uh, especially for the little kids. And then for um, myself personally, my name is just Mark Spewak. So uh, S-P-E-W-A-K is my last name. It's M-A-R-K for my first name. Um, I have a Facebook that's... Uh, um, you know, a lot of kind of a big following on Facebook in terms of my network. And then I have a Twitter and an Instagram there. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter have a weird name. It's uh, Spee City Dream Boy. It's my same name that I, I'm the only person that's ever made a nickname for themselves in high school that actually stuck. And then you, you know, kept most, it. Yeah, yeah, most people make a nickname for themselves and nobody calls you by that because they're like, what a loser. Why would you name yourself that? But I have my own nickname as a joke and people actually started to call me it. So that's my Twitter and my Instagram feed. And I just keep my, most of my social media for my own personal stuff is inspiring motivational posts. I try to keep things very positive. And then on the Spewak training, that's us sharing our team. Awesome. Cool. Do you have a preference if anyone was to contact you, where you like to be contacted at? Find me anywhere. So okay. you can you find me whatever, whatever is a convenient way that, you know, if you want to go to our website and, you know, spewoutraining.com and shoot me an email, that's awesome. And if you'd rather just find me on my own personal Instagram page and you don't even want to talk, you know, coaching, you want to just talk running and, you know, find me there. So whatever's, uh, whatever's best. I'm good for it. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. This was a really inspiring, I'm sure we could have talked longer, but there was, yeah, it was a, a great talk and I enjoyed getting to know your story and your coaching story. Um, anything else before we wrap this up that you wanted to share with our listeners that you can think of? No, I just thank you so much for, for having me. This is awesome. I, I did my research on what you've kind of been doing before I jumped on here. And I've just been really inspired by um, just your tone on Facebook and you know how you inspire people in your network and that you're like myself, you're following something that you're really passionate about. So I was really excited to jump on this because I knew uh, this is something that, you know, is very in line with what I'm doing personally and professionally. So kudos to you and uh, just excited to be a part of this. So thank you for, thank, thank you, you for having me and allowing me to share my story. Yeah, I'm super excited for our listeners to get to listen to this. Um, and yes, you can reach out um, on any of the avenues he said. And once again, thank you, Mark. We're so happy to have you here. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. We hope you are running away with some inspiration, tips, and actionable items that you can put towards your Breaking Five moment. Lastly, if you know anyone else with a Breaking Five moment, that doesn't have to actually mean literally Breaking Five, just a Breaking Five moment in general, in running, in life, or anyone else who has great knowledge and background in helping others reach their Breaking Five moment, I would love for you to put me in contact with them. We would love to have them on the show. So if you could and let them know, if you know of someone else, tell them to reach out to me at my Instagram. And that is at Kristen underscore run your life. Again, that's at Kristen underscore run your life. And could you do me a favor? And if you enjoyed today's episode and can think of anyone else who could benefit from listening to it, could you go ahead and share this out on your social media or share this directly with them? That would mean the world to me, seriously. And make sure if you have not already, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so that you get our weekly updates as we drop the next episodes. Thank you, everyone. We seriously appreciate you tuning in today. We'll see you next time. And until then, go run your life.